Hey, Lisa. Hey, Julie. How's it going? I'm doing great. I just returned from a really fun weekend in Miami. I had the opportunity to run the Miami Half Marathon again for my second year. And it was great. I, I definitely want to tell you, you got good it. weather this time, right? Totally. Because we've both run it in the past when it's been pouring rain. Right? Yes. You ran it last time you ran. Was it raining? Yeah. Or, yeah. Last year I ran, I talked about on the podcast, it was one of those situations where it was downpour at the start and then it cleared up and then it became super humid. Right. So it was kind of, um, it was wind, rain and humidity. So um, this year the race was sun, wind and humidity, okay. which I'm fine with yeah. because we both was, like running in warmer weather. Yeah. yeah. And I think if you embrace it and recognize that you're going to run slower, but it's more enjoyable, then it's not, I don't perceive it as a problem. I perceive it as an opportunity. Just to, the conditions. Yes. <laughs> to test my fitness in not ideal conditions, but not horrible. And not miserable. Right. No, I was totally fine. So I will just quickly take you through the race because I assume people are interested in hearing. I think so. Um, so I I got into Miami super early on um, Saturday morning, uh, went to the expo, and like last year, and this is just something for people to know who run this race, they use analytics to determine your corral for this race. They don't ask you, provide me with a race your, time. Your estimate, or your estimated finish time. No, they use something through Athlinks because oh, last like year. they're ranking, like the yes. percentage that you, yeah. Yeah, so last oh, year so and interesting. this year, they put me in a corral that projected my pace to be about a minute to a minute and a half off of what Slower? I normally, yeah. Really? So that's why both years I, I felt I needed to ask to bump up, but you can't. Will they let you do that? Yes, but you have to do it at the expo. Right. So that's good have, for people to know that you can request a corral change at the expo. Yes. So like last year, I had to bring a picture of a race time and show them. And when I got to the front, the woman said, oh, I'm so sorry that you want to move to corral B. It's full. And I said, well, unfortunately, squeeze in one more yeah. person. I'm small. I was really nice, you know, kill them with kindness. And I said, I totally understand. I've been standing in this line and I see other people have been doing the same thing. So maybe if I had gotten in this line, I've been standing in sooner, I would have gotten that last sticker because they put a sticker yeah, beat. Right. And so she just kind of threw a sticker on and okay. said, fine. And there were like a hundred stickers. So I think that they were instructed. And that was your corral on... Okay, so that's, that's where it. I was going to go. Yeah. So um, got my bib. Got, and so anyone who's running this race should know it, it is a race where you need to take a bus. So if you are not staying right across from the American Airlines Arena where the race is staged, you take a bus from um, South Beach or somewhere that's not walkable to the American Airlines Arena. Yeah, they must have changed that since I ran it two years ago. I parked and I, I drove from uh, from West Palm Beach and I parked in a parking garage and walked to the start, but it was very um, confusing the walk because I had walked toward like the finish area first and then I had to walk all the way up to the start. It was like a long walk, but but I had walked. So I, but, the, and I don't remember there being buses. So I wonder if it's changed. It has not. You can okay. do that. You okay. can drive to the American Airlines arena and find parking. But I didn't, from where I was coming from South Beach, which was part of the race route. Okay, got it. I think it would have right. been tricky. So yeah. I opted to, take one of okay. the buses they provided from the convention center. I walked to the convention center in the dark because the race starts right. at 6 a.m. Yeah. But there were enough runners around because it wasn't raining. It was fine. Right. 
and um, arrived at the race. I met up with a couple of our runners. Shout out to our runner, Jana, who flew in from Omaha, Nebraska to run, and she did great. And it was really nice to be able to touch base with her and Kat um, and her friend Sarah before the race. And they all did really well. They were in great spirits and mentally very calm, which was great to see. And this is a race that uh, Jana and Kat have been planning for a very long time because I remember Kat mentioning it to us like, probably a year ago that she and Jonna wanted to do this race together. So that's fun. Yeah. So it was great. We did some photos and then I ran into a few people from MCRC and that was really nice. So I got into the corral and And I, how early did you get into the corral? The race starts at the race starts at six. Um, the elite corral starts at five fifty five, and then I was in corral B right behind the elite corral, the elite corral's a, and unfortunately, it was really crowded. And I was behind a fence, and I couldn't even get into the into right. the entry into the corral. Right. This is something I remember, and something I think people should know if they're running this race is to get to the corrals like super early. Yeah. Because I remember going to my corral, which was also the same corral, like I don't know, 15, 20 minutes before, and it was like I couldn't even get in. It was like this like crush of people and trying to get into the, the corrals was really like stress, last minute kind of stress. That's what happens. To yeah. Me. And it was interesting. It's a very um, diverse race. There are many languages being spoken all around you as you're in the crowd. And you could, I didn't understand. I mean, I only understand Spanish, but I could hear other people, other languages where I'm sure they were communicating WTF, move out of the way, not recognizing that we all were trying to go to the same place. There was a little bit of pushing, which um, stressed me out. But eventually the gun went off for the elite crowd. And at which point they opened the gates and they allowed us in. And shortly thereafter, I started. I was a little bit condensed within my position in my corral for that reason. And so my first mile was an eight minute mile, um, which isn't a bad thing. No, generally though, that mile is pretty fast because it's downhill. So I looked at my watch and I thought, you know what? That's not a great thing because while I like to start out slow, typically I like to start out like 20 seconds slower, not like, that much slower than what I planned to run, but I was very you calm. Didn't panic. No. And I remembered last year when I started out quicker, I kind of died at the end from the humidity and I knew it was going to be really humid. So I chalked it up to it was meant to be yeah. and just started going. And, and we should also know it's still dark at this point. Like yeah. I remember doing that and that's a little bit, it's always harder to run in the dark and you know, your footing and just getting a sense of your pacing. So that's kind of disconcerting. It's good for people to know too. Okay. There are potholes and it's dark. Correct. So um, bridge comes up very quickly. And like last year, a lot of wind. This year, I decided not to concern myself with trying to tuck behind large men. Because again, I was in a position, I find this a lot with myself where I'm in no man's land. I'm I'm not wanting to surge ahead to be with the taller men. But I'm also not wanting to run by myself. And you have to make the tactical decision as to whether you want to surge to get some wind blockage or stay where you are. I just decided, you know, screw it. I'll stay where I am. I'll just let the wind blow the way it is and absorb the body blow, as you say. And um, I realized my second mile ticked off and it was about 720. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be just fine. And things started getting a little bit hot and humid in the same place as last year, I now recognize it's because there is no wind. So it's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you're done, if you don't with the wind. And um, and that's when the sun starts coming up too. Correct. So that was right around my miles eight and nine, where it was a little bit slower. I picked myself back up 
got into the city and it was great. I felt so much better at the end than last year. I had one slower mile, mile 12, but I do believe that it was because the blocked buildings yeah, downtown. Yeah. And I ended up finishing in 138, which was two minutes faster than my time last year That's in the great. same condition. So I was really happy with that. Slower than the half marathon I ran you know, a month and a half earlier in Huntington Beach. Different course, different, different conditions. Different conditions. And this is a much more crowded course too. Crowded, hillier, windier, and hotter. Yeah. But I think it's good because as a seasoned runner, I know my body and I, I recognize how to use data in a positive way. Instead of looking at my race time and saying, well, I have all this training under my belt since my last half marathon, but I finished two minutes slower. I thought, oh my gosh, I did two minutes faster than last year on the same course. I'm in good shape. This is great. And I feel okay. And like we always say too, that's just one data point, one race. Yeah. It doesn't really reflect, necessarily reflect your your exact fitness. It, you know, it gives us an idea, but there's leeway on either side. So it's one data point, one day, one set of conditions, one course. So Absolutely. it's not, it shouldn't define how, how, you know, what you, how you feel about your training. Yes. And it was kind of cool because the last mile when I was finishing, um, one of my favorite Israeli songs came oh, on. Yeah. It's like a pop song that's also um, sung in Spanish. And yeah. so they had it on. I was oh, like, fun. oh, I love this song. And speaking of which, I crossed the finish line, got my um, food, including the kosher quinoa bowls this year. I was super impressed with that. That's amazing. Great finish line food. That's cool. And I went to the staging area for the awards, which was in a completely separate part of the race and much calmer and a beautiful setting on, on the marina and waited patiently while eating my quinoa bowl for our friend VD Deutsch to come over to accept her award for winning first female overall in the half marathon distance. Awesome. And you got to see her. I did her. because it worked out that while the marathon was going on, the race decided to do the half marathon awards during that time, which was excellent. And so while she was standing near the stage waiting for the awards to start, I actually had a chance to go without it being too chaotic or it was great. And classic Beanie, you know, we gave each other hugs. She was very excited to see me and I was much more excited to see her. And she said, how was your race? I said, it was great. How was yours? Honest to God, she had just won the race. Has this Israeli flag wrapped around her ready to go on right. stage? And she said, well, I was kind of disappointed in my time. I mean, it was a little bit slower than I would have liked. I think I did like a 116 or 117. And usually I'm faster. And I don't know what it was today. I must be tired. And I just laughed because she did phenomenally. But runners are runners. Right. No matter how fast you are and whether you've won fat cash after finishing first or had a PR, you're always going to say, well, you know, and, and qualify it. Right. So yeah, that's what happened. Aww. But she was adorable. And just like on our podcast, big smile, very inspiring. Joyous, right? Yeah. 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 So great. Yeah, it was great. Oh, good. So we are about um, two months out from the Boston Marathon two months out from many spring marathons that proceed and are directly after Boston. And as we promised um, when we started this season of our podcast initially, we wanted to take one podcast episode out of each month to kind of give everyone an idea of where they should be and what they should be doing right now to set yourself up for success. So we're going to jump right into this and we're not going to have a guest today. It's just Lisa and me talking it out 
and giving everyone what we think are some of the tips that will really help you set yourself up for success for the next month before we head into taper. So Lisa, why don't you start out? Yeah. Um, I, the, the first thing that we say is don't panic. Don't, if you happen to fall behind your, your training right now, um, if you're not exactly where you thought you should be, if you're not where your training buddies are, uh, don't panic. Take, take stock right now, see where you are and figure out what do I need to do to progress gradually and appropriately through the next two months. We have plenty of time left. We do have plenty of time. So I always tell people, you know, a few years ago, I had surgery in December and I couldn't start running until February 1st. And I did what I could. And I started where I could start. I didn't try to jump ahead. And I trained for about 10 weeks, maybe 12 weeks, and really only got up to a long run. I think I did one 16, one 18 mile run. And that was it. And had one of the better Boston Marathon. So even if you're behind now, for whatever reason, if you've been set back by injury, if the weather has kept you from running, if just motivation has kept you from running, look where you are, do not panic. And um, that's going to be counterproductive. And sit down and make a plan. What, what do you need to do step by step to get into a good place to get you to marathon day? I love that. And so the second don't kind of goes with what you just said, which is don't compare yourself. Um, sometimes we panic because we're comparing ourselves to what we see other people doing. Every body and every runner is different and every runner needs different amounts of recovery and can tolerate different amounts of running. So there is a reason why schedules vary from runner to runner. And if you are in a position where you're training with a group and following the same schedule, don't hesitate to vary that schedule to make it work for you. There is nothing wrong with a group together training. I mean, so many of our friends do that. It's wonderful. But recognize that that doesn't mean that the schedule is a mandate. It is okay to veer. If what's stopping you from veering from the schedule is that you're looking at what everyone else is doing, take a step back and assess what's going on with you and your body. Do you need a little more sleep, which would mean maybe a few less miles during the week? Do you need to run maybe not so early in the morning because you need more sleep or running in the dark is just harder for you? Um, do you need to take a day off from speed work? And instead, you know, instead of meeting everybody at the track, maybe go do cross training instead that day. Maybe go take a cycle class or go for a swim. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that made me think about too, we, we are um, coaching identical twins. Um, we have actually a couple sets of identical twins and their schedules are always different. We don't give them the same schedules, even identical twins, because they have different histories, different injury thresholds, different goals, different, um, some have different paces, not all of them. A couple have exactly the same paces, but even with the same paces, they have different, um, different needs. So yes, don't, don't compare. I think that's huge. And, and another don't would be don't compensate. So if you are behind or you feel like you're not doing everything you do, you cannot make it all up. You, you can't. And that will just lead to injury and overtraining. So be patient, take a breath, take a step back. Uh, look what you need to do. Injury comes from too much, too soon, too fast. And if you have all of those together, or even one of those, then you may run into problems. So it's better steady, gradual progression. Yeah, to that, and I just, with specific to Boston, we know that there's a lot of folks out there that feel the need to do a lot of hills. Don't, hills are, are a great icing on the cake with your training. While hill, hill work is important, it doesn't have to be purposeful. I'm going to go do hill sprints, or I'm going to, oh, I haven't done enough hill work. I'm not running. My routes aren't hilly enough. 
just add in some hills to your routes, but don't feel like you need to go out and, and pound the hills because you realize you haven't done enough of that. Number one, that's going to, again, cause you to cram your training and cause potentially issues with injury and overtraining. And number two, the benefit of running extra hills to make up for what you've done previously is certainly not going to outweigh the advantage of giving yourself the recovery days that you need. So just going on routes that are hilly, um, not super hilly, but just hilly in general, often is plenty. If you live in flatter areas, it takes more effort to find those routes. But where we live, there are plenty of hills and don't feel you need to cram that. And there are plenty of runners who come from Florida or from other flatter states that have you know, they don't have as many hills that do just fine in Boston. Yeah. 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 Another important don't, don't ignore. That is really important right now because we're getting to peak mileage and peak intensity and starting to feel a little fatigued, starting to feel little niggling things that we sometimes chalk up to, well, my training's really, my training volume's really high. Of course I feel sore. Oh, of course I'm feeling that little plantar fasciitis start again. Of course I'm feeling that little, just because I have a lot of mileage. Don't ignore those. Uh, don't let a little problem turn into a big problem as we, especially as we get closer to race day, do something about it now. So take a couple of days off, do some cross training, go to see a physical therapist or an orthopedist if you have to. Uh, or even if it's something that's been bothering you for more than a week, I'd say go get, get ahead of it now. And uh, number five of our don'ts is don't worry about your easy paces. When we are more fatigued from our training, which is very natural at this point, some days your easy paces are going to be much slower than what you're accustomed to. Don't force it and don't think that it's it's because you're not training right or because there's something wrong. No, just listen to your body. You can never run too easy on your easy days. And frankly, you can never run too easy on your long run days. As long as your form is the same and that is what your body's telling you, just listen to your body and run easy. And your body is actually absorbing the work from all of those harder workouts better when you don't worry about your easy paces. Yeah. I, and I, I think that's really important. I think for um, like the Tiberius marathon that I did leading up to that, all of my easy run paces, I think we've talked about this before, were much slower than I, my normal easy run paces. And it was starting to psych me out a little. And I kept thinking, well, like just put it out of my head. And I, I didn't worry about it. I did just run those easy paces. I thought, how is that going to translate to marathon day? If I, my easy paces are so much slower than they normally were. And my finish time was exactly right in the same range that it always is. So right. Do, do not worry about those easy paces. And we have a lot of runners who come to us and say, Oh, my easy pace was much faster last year. I don't know if I'm in the same shape, same condition. And, and they start to panic because they're comparing their easy paces to past easy paces. And there really isn't much correlation there. You can't, you can reverse extrapolate easy paces from race times. You can say, here's your race time. Your, your training paces should be in this range. You can't do it the other way around. You can't say, oh, well, if your training paces are here, this is what you'll be able to race. You can't do that. That's a great point. Um, and a lot of times easy paces um, are the result or what your body is dictating of uh, sleep, stress, hydration. And maybe last year, one's easy pace for a particular run was faster because they got a lot of sleep that week, or maybe it was less, there's less stress going on in yeah. their lives or the weather was different or yeah. anything. It's really, yeah, it's, it's, it's all variables that you can't always control, but you can control how easy you go and don't worry about it. So now we just went through the don'ts. And so now we're going to talk about the do's. Yeah, let's, let's go to a high note now. Yeah. <laughs> let's, start, let's start low and end high. All right. So I'll start with this one. 
the do's. Number one, this is a great time to practice your projected marathon pace and your lactate threshold pace. And what we mean by that is not just doing 800s on the track. We've talked about this before. That's that's great. But taking a run, one run a week and either a long run or a medium long run or even your speed day, whichever day you decide and putting in some miles in there of your marathon pace and or your lactate threshold pace. Those paces are super specific to marathon performance and marathon training. And it doesn't have to look like I'm going to go out and run three MPs or three LT miles. It can look like I'm going to run two times 10 minutes at these paces with um, two minute recovery or three blocks of 10 minutes with one minute recovery. It doesn't have to be where you're doing it all in one big bunch. But one tip um, I personally have that I think works better, and there's no specific science behind this, but to me, it's just logic. Try to do at least some of those marathon pace miles and lactate threshold pace miles at the end of whatever run you pick for doing those. If you start your run getting them out of the way, it kind of, to me, removes sort of the relevancy of it because we also need to train our brains to get used to running fast on tired legs. Right. And and mentally, I think it's also super important to, at, toward the end of your run, have to dig a little bit deeper and, and push a little bit harder. So I, I absolutely agree. For me, uh, because especially because I run by myself, it's very hard for me to run anything faster be motivated or anything faster by myself. I like races for that. So I like to do put in a 10 miler race or a half marathon where I can go and run at tempo or a half marathon pace, because it's very hard for me to do that alone. So I think doing it with a group is really helpful. You've got motivation. You've got other people keeping you accountable, or if you don't have a group signing up for, it's okay to sign up for some races. You could do, uh, you know, we have some runners this weekend doing a local race here where they're going to do some easy running before they're going to do the race in the middle at a tempo pace at a, marathon pace, half marathon pace, whatever, at a 10K pace, somewhere in that range, that that lactate threshold range. And then they're going to run the rest of their miles. And so that helps them get that 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 in, I think. Absolutely. And you mentioned sometimes it's hard for you to throw in those faster. I have the same issue. It's hard for me when I'm by myself to get motivated to jump in and do LTs or MPs. So I too rely on races, but another little game I play is that I treat myself to a podcast or something I want to listen to. I use Aftershocks. Treat yourself. <laughs> treat yourself. So I use Aftershocks now, which are the headphones where you yep. can see ambient, you can hear ambient noise. And I will say to myself, all right, well, I'm going to do um, my tempo now, but I'm going to wait until I put in this podcast I've been looking forward to. Yeah. And for I me, like that. yeah, that's great. That's like, great. Well, yeah. Well, we need, we need those, those motivation. Yeah. That, that it's, it's hard to go out and force yourself to run at that uncomfortable, but what that's doing is getting your body accustomed to running right at your lactate threshold, right? Where when, when you surpass your lactate threshold, you have to slow down because your muscles start to burn. You can't sustain that. So if we can get our bodies accustomed to running at that, almost that lactate threshold or around that lactate threshold effort, your body adapts and you can run a faster pace before that that burn sets in before you get, before you have to slow down. So that's why, um, and I agree with you, I would even replace speed work during the week. Speed work is really limited utility in, in marathon training. I think it's good to keep your fast twitch muscles firing. I think it's good for neuromuscular development, that hot, that efficiency. Um, I think it's good to keep some of that in there, but so much of the marathon and even half marathon is so specific to this lactate threshold and being able to sustain it's, it's speed endurance. 
yeah. rather than speed, speed work. S- speed straight. Yeah, exactly. Endur- kind of speed yeah. endurance. Yeah. And, and frankly, for me, I consider it all speed work. Like it's uncomfortable right. for me to right. run Anything LT. that's not an easy case <laughs> yeah. speed work. Yeah. So that's what I call it. Yeah. So we talked about running on hilly routes before and we said you mm-hmm. don't have to overdo hills, but mm-hmm. in particular for Boston and not even just for Boston. Um, don't be afraid of those hilly routes, especially in your longer runs so that you can simulate that, uh, that, you know, having to go uphill and down, downhill, downhill too. downhill is something we don't talk about a lot, but that's actually really almost more critical for Boston training is getting your body accustomed to running downhill. So your quads don't get trashed and, and learning how to run downhill relaxed and comfortably. So definitely incorporating uh, those hills and also on hills, you then learn how to <coughs> run with even effort on hills. And that's a good time to train yourself not to push the hills because if we push the hills, we were talking about lactate threshold and staying aerobic or our body's burning fat for fuel. If you push the hills, you go anaerobic and your body starts burning glycogen and that's fuel that you need. If you start burning off glycogen too quickly, you can't replenish it fast enough. You're going to hit the wall eventually. So if you push those hills and go anaerobic and start burning off glycogen, you're going to pay for it later. And we can see this. We always tell our runners and I've told runners and I've seen it myself. I can remember one race particular where you see those runners that are they're, they charge right up, you pass it up, up the hill and they pass you up the hill and they're up the hill. And when do you see them again? On the other side of the hill as you're relaxed and going down the hill and you've conserved your energy and your, your turnover is still good and their form is falling apart and they're exhausted and they just, you know, spiked their heart rate. They just went anaerobic. They went into oxygen debt and now they're, you know, now they're falling behind. So even effort, it's good to practice that on your hilly routes. It's a great point. And, and similarly, when you're running uphill practice, not slowing down when you crest the hill. I have this problem myself, but it's it's something you have to think about it. When you go up a hill, even if you're not charging, but you're maintaining even effort, mentally, once we crest it, we're like, oh, don't pause. Like, keep right. going. Think about actually keep as you go crest the hill, going. that's when you can push is kind of over yes. the crest of the hill. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So all those hill strategies, it's good to have. If you don't have hills where you live, um, treadmill is okay. It's, it's, you know, it's an alternative. It, you can go find an overpass somewhere, a bridge somewhere. Uh, there are ways to practice hills. It's not going to be the death of you if you do not practice hills okay. for Boston. It's okay. But there are ways to, to get in some hill, hill work. Yeah. So number three is, um, this is a do stay injury free. And that is, I know we all do our best to stay injury free. And of course, sometimes we can't help it. I certainly and know this from firsthand experience, we can do all the right things and still sustain an injury. So in our directive to stay injury-free, we are not at all saying that injuries are caused by someone purposely doing that to right. themselves. Nobody says, oh, I want an injury. No. But what we mean by that is the category of getting some massages, doing the strength work, foam rolling, and resting. Sleep. Resting. Sleep. The most important recovery modality, as we have said over and over, and as has been proven by many scientific studies, um, is rest. And rest is sleep. So by all means, if it is a decision between waking up a little bit early to do seven miles instead of six, do six and get a little more sleep. Yeah, That seventh mile is not going to make or break your mileage week. And if you're at 49 and you want to get to 50, figure out another way to get that Let extra it go. mile. Let it go. Yeah, Let it go. Let it go. Absolutely. Um, massage. 
While massage is not scientifically proven to be as effective as we may perceive, the thing about massage that's really great to me is if you have a good sports massage therapist who's putting their hands on you, they can identify for you where you're, you have tightness and tightness often is similar to weakness. So it's good well, to know it's, it's because of weakness. Yeah. Usually you're tight because there's a weakness. Yeah. So if you have a tightness, for example, in your in your hip flexors, that may be causing a weakness in your glutes. Right. Um, so just having someone put their hands on you and assess, in addition to, of course, it helps. It feels good. I think well, it's not really only important. Along those lines, you can relax yes. and rest during the massage. So if you are resting during the massage and you're falling asleep mm-hmm. or you're just getting that that rest and relaxation, um, that that obviously is a benefit of massage too. Something else that's important to staying injury-free is keep staying on top of your strength training. And it gets really hard when our mileage gets higher because we're spending all of our time running and we don't have a lot of extra time for that. So just remembering to spend 10 minutes twice a day doing some of those key glute glute bridges, planks, uh, clamshells, side leg raises, anything that is runner specific that works glute strength, uh, core, glute, hip strength, and single leg stability Keep up with that because it's so easy to let that go now. And you said 10 minutes twice a day. Really, it, it can be 10 minutes Whatever twice a day every other day. Right. It's completely sufficient. Yeah. Or doesn't like, mean you have to go take an hour-long class somewhere to gym, totally. get in your car and go drive somewhere and, and be sore the next day. It just means being mindful before you go to bed while you're making dinner in the morning when you get up. I mean, for me, what I've been doing that works pretty well is I work out, do strength training three days a week. And whatever it is that I do those three days a week, that's what I do. And I try to do them on run days so that my rest rest days days are are true true rest days. That's good. Okay. So we already went through um, number four, run easy on easy days. That is a do and a don't. Don't worry about your pace, but run easy on easy days. And those easy days can never be too easy. Okay. So number five, just a reminder, if you haven't yet, Sometime this month, get your shoes. Like replace your shoes, mm-hmm. right? Make sure that your shoes are are relatively new. Replace them. Get the new pair. Get the next pair in your in your rotation. But here's the thing: we we could talk about this on a whole other podcast. And we, will. We, we, we will. We will. We will. Um, we know that the vapor flies are are really beneficial because of the carbon plate, and that they do provide that four percent um, enhancement that allows runners to go faster through the propulsion of the um, carbon plate. But here's the deal, and people aren't talking about this nearly enough. You still have to make sure that the vapor fly actually works for your foot and your stride. For 26.2 miles. That's the key. Yeah. Because you, your body starts to fatigue. If the shoe is not right for you by mile 20 and you're cramping up and your your calves are just on fire, it doesn't matter how much faster it's going to make you go. Like you're going to either be injured or just stopped in your tracks because you can't physically run anymore. Yeah. And so they're not the right shoe for everybody. They're not. And I just listened to a great podcast where um, Tina Muir inter- interviewed Alex Hutchinson. I love anything with Alex Hutchinson. He's such a good researcher. And he's the guy who wrote the book Endure. And he talked a lot about the vapor flies. And aside from another part of the discussion, which is do we really want to support Nike? And we can talk about it at, at another time. Neither Tina nor Alex mentioned what we just talked about, which is, Hey, you can have the best shoe in the world, but it may not work for your your biomechanics. Then it's it's not. And anyone who's switched shoes to a shoe that doesn't work for you will know that you will know that right away. And 
really 26.2 miles is a really long way to go. And with the vapor flies and similar shoes, you're really not supposed to train in them for long distances. It, you, if you don't get a chance to train in them for long distances, you don't know what's going to happen on your long run. Yes. So we'll talk about this more in another episode, but if you are planning on running in the vapor flies, just, just proceed with caution and also recognize that, sure, it, it will undoubtedly make you faster, but is it worth a potential injury? Make sure you know. Make sure you know all the facts before you throw those on. Number six. Yeah, this is a great time now, especially that our long runs are getting longer, starting to 18, 20 mile long runs, start practicing with nutrition. And a lot of people don't realize that we may not need that much nutrition, or some people maybe don't need any nutrition on a training run that's 18, 20 miles long. You can get away with it. Um, but you're running much slower than you're going to run on race day. On race day, your body's going to be going through burning through glycogen a lot faster, and you're going to need it on race day. And the only way to make sure your body knows how to digest that and you make sure it works for you is by practicing that in training. Now, we get a lot of people say, well, that's, you know, that's great. And how much should I take? And we, we recommend about uh, 40 to 60 grams of carbs or 30 to 60 grams of carbs, 40, I think we say 40 to 60 grams of carbs per hour, um, which is really the most that your body can absorb. Your body can absorb that much more. So more and you get GI distress. Um, and, and that means a gel or a serving of chews or something similar. Most gels and chews have about 30, maybe even less, like 25 to 30 grams of carbs. So that means at least one per half hour. So somebody who's racing for four hours, that's eight servings. And it sounds like a lot and it is a lot to carry. And that's something else you want to practice is how am I going to carry this nutrition? How, how am I going to work it? What's going to work for me? Do I want to do a combination of a drink and gels? Do I want to do a combination of gels and chews? Um, it, it sounds like a lot. And people say, well, I'm not going to bring that much on my training runs. I don't need that much on my training runs. You don't typically need that much on your training runs, but you will on race day. And for your body to know what to do with that, you need to have practiced that. Yes. So something to consider is if you don't want to stomach all of that on your training runs, designate a training run or two where you're running fast, doing some tempo within, and it can be a mid or a race, a race, one a of race. Those tune-up races. Yes, exactly. And that's a great time to practice it because when your body is working harder and um, it's taking blood flow that would normally go to your digestive system and going to your other muscles. That's also when the true test of how you're digesting um, right, is, right. Is, is going to occur. Yeah, you can digest much easier at the beginning when your blood flow is still going to your GI system than later when it's going to your vital organs like your heart and your lungs yeah. and has been diverted from your GI system. So you might want to take gels and ch- or chews that are a little bit harder to, harder to digest, make, take more work at the beginning. And then as you get toward the end, start taking some gels or something that's easier to digest. But now is the time to practice with that. And also electrolyte or salt tabs, even if it's not a, going to be a hot day, uh, I've always found them very helpful to have that extra. Now, I don't drink noon or um, any electrolyte replacement. You wouldn't want a double hit. You wouldn't want to be taking both. It can make you nauseous. But And they're pretty safe to take. We, we both, I think, I think I took them the first time in the hot Boston the hot Boston year. Um, and it didn't, it didn't have any side no. effects. It wasn't bad to do it the, that day, but just to know, and just to get in the habit of once an hour taking a salt or electrolyte tab, uh, to replenish those electrolytes. Now there are salt tabs and there are electrolyte tabs. I like salt stick. It has all the electrolytes. It has potassium, magnesium, calcium, and sodium, which we need all of them. So just salt will be okay. But I like the, the tabs or the caps that have, that have everything. Yeah, I use salt stick also for the same reason. And I just wanted to clarify one thing when you said that you you 
don't take noon, but you do take Gatorade on the course. I don't. Oh, actually. you don't? No, I don't. Okay, I nope. do. Nope, I don't. I, I, one time, I think it was my first marathon I did, and I got I took it toward the end, mm-hmm. and I got stomach cramps. I have never gone that. back. Nope, I do not take Gatorade. I, t- I take my salt tab once, one an hour, so I don't take Gatorade. Yeah, okay. and Gatorade, we should say, Gatorade does not really have a ton of electrolytes. doesn't. It doesn't. It has it, some calories, has a little bit of sodium, but it, it if you has look sugar. at sugar. Right. So that's right. So that's, but that's the carbs and that's the glycogen, which is fine. Um, but yeah, I do not, I do not take Gatorade. Take water so only. I actually do take Gatorade and I take salt tabs and I've never had an issue. I take a right, salt because tab. Gatorade doesn't have enough to like Exactly. Double it so for those who like me take Gatorade, you can also take a yes, salt tab. But noon has enough that it's like similar to a salt. And one time I double hit a noon. I didn't like how noon tasted very like, um, very, what it's like very like light tasting. So I put two tabs in thinking, Oh, it'll give me, it'll give me a double the taste and the flavor. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think about it. I was doubling up on the electrolytes and I got so nauseous. So you don't want to double up on the electrolytes, but make sure you have some electrolyte source. Noon is great, but it's hard if you're going to be running to bring, carry a lot of tabs with you to keep putting into your water bottle. Yeah, um, I use noon. I start I really, with it. Do you start with it and then? No, I love noon, but I use it for drinking outside of running. Right, right. Um, that's just what I drink is yeah. electrolytes when I'm not running. Yeah. When I am racing, I take the Gatorade and um, I swish it in my mouth. I don't have a full cup. Yeah. Um, and then when I'm taking my nutrition, of course, I take water with it. So that's kind of my. And we say that because if you take nutrition and then you take the Gatorade, which does have sugars, that can be a double hit, which can overload your your GI system. Yes. um, We talked about sleep before. That's another one of our do's. Sleep more, sleep longer. Even if you can get to bed a half hour earlier at night, a couple times a week, um, sleep, get some more, get get some additional sleep. Our bodies are going, running more mileage under more stress and strain. So whatever it takes to get that in, like you said before, if that means sleeping a little bit later and cutting your run short a couple of miles, that is not going to make a difference in the long run. Not at all. Uh, take rest days. So rest days don't necessarily have to be resting where you are doing absolutely nothing. A sloth on the couch, but yeah. that sounds really nice. I know. <laughs> a rest day can be a super easy run. A brisk walk can still be a rest day. What do you um, think about doing yoga on rest days? I am totally, I think doing yoga on rest days is great, provided it's not like hot yoga, right? Or power yoga where you're coming out of there sore. Just like a relaxation. And I, because I think that goes back to, we talked about rest before Mm -hmm. that like meditation time where you can actually, like if you're getting a massage and that's happening or you're going into a float tank and that's happening or whatever it is, is that quiet time where you can like really tune into how your body's feeling and, and kind of let your mind turn off. So I think that's a good, I, I do think that's a good thing to do on, and that can feel like training too. Like my yoga is part of my training. Totally. I, I actually on rest days like to do a very easy recovery cycle. Um, I find it flushes out my muscles. It feels really good. And um, I only spend usually about 30 minutes, but that's what I do on a rest day. So I'm still moving. And, and I also love to walk on rest days because I think I feel better when I'm mobile. Um, and even if I'm not too. running outside. Yep. Yes. So the day after the half marathon, I went on a really long walk and I was less sore yeah. as a result. So rest days doesn't mean you have to just sit. But when we say take more rest days, we're really saying Take another day off from running if you need to, just to allow more recovery. Especially if you're in, uh, if you're a masters runner, note that you, as a masters runner, can maintain your fitness better by taking more recovery. It is not about training harder; it's about recovering better. Yeah, yeah. So our last tip is eat to fuel, and not just during the taper week. So really, especially now, 
Oh, I'm sorry. It's not our last tip. We have more tips. I thought it was our last tip, but it's not. Uh, eat to fuel. Um, and, and especially now because our mileage is higher and we oftentimes underestimate. And the, the dietitians we work with always say that that's the number one thing they see when runners come to them is that we underestimate the fuel that we need. So making sure that you are staying on top of some extra nutrition, good nutrition, and, and you can get electrolytes through your nutrition too. So if you're, you know, you're trying to stay on top of your electrolyte consumption, especially before race day, getting that through foods. Yeah. And number 10 is practice positive self-talk while running in tough conditions. So this, this is one that I think we all struggle with, especially during the month of February and March when the weather is, is mm-hmm. tough. The race is not yet close enough where we're definitely February. (laughs) Yeah. It's a tough month to train. And it's really important when you're in a situation where you just aren't feeling it, um, practice talking to yourself and being positive. Remember what we've talked about before using phrases like I'm lucky that I get to do this. I'm happy that I get to move my body. I love this BDs. Way. I'm curious to see oh, what yeah. my body can do. I like that. And I think this is actually a good time too, although we don't have a ton of extra time, but on our rest days or when you you're getting ready to rest or go to sleep, reading books on, on the, the mental side of, you know, the, on mental strength and mental strategy. I love Dina Castor's Let Your Mind Run. I think that's such a great book. And a lot of our runners have read it and said that really helped them come up with some mental strategies to help them through, through the races. I love her book. And I also really love How Bad Do You Want It? And Alex Hutchinson's book, right. Endure. Yeah. Those are all, those yeah. are two of my top ones, particularly. Speaking of, yeah. of, of mental strategies, um, practice running solo. Because you will most likely, unless you're planning to run with somebody during the marathon and stick with them the entire time, you're going to be running solo. So uh, really, and getting comfortable, I think, too, with with being you know not distracted during a run. So not running with headphones, not you know, running running without headphones, running without music, running without a running buddy to really get let yourself get into your mind and and focus on on the running. So just you know you have to do it all the time, but once in a while. All right. So the next time I do my tempo miles, you I will still listen to the podcast. podcast. No, I think that's fine. But I think you're right. That's really like just practice running on your own so that on race day, when you may be by your on your own and you may not have that podcast in your ears, which I don't think you should during Boston because you want to soak in the Boston experience that you're, you're prepared for that. Number 12 is, and we talked about this earlier, schedule a tune-up race or two. Um, and most of the runners we coach already know what those tune-up races are. Our training partners generally, um, here in our area, the tune-up race will likely be the RRCA 10 miler, the rock and roll half marathons, another great one. BNA half marathons, a little close to Boston this year. About a month out. It's not too terrible, but yeah, you want to, you want to pay attention to the timing. Yeah. And a lot of times, like uh, I know a lot of our runners, they struggle because it's hard to find races in February and March that are good timing. So recognizing that you may have to push it a little bit into March because the races don't start popping up in your area until March, but find one, ideally a 10 mile or a half marathon that you can do because that allows you to practice race nutrition, race strategy, lactate um, threshold, right, lactate threshold, like getting to that, you know, the mental strategies. But even if you can't, even a 10 K is a good chance to get out there and kind of see where am I get out, do a race, go through the motions of a race. But I think it's very important because we, like we said, you can't tell where you are from your training. Your training isn't going to tell you like, yeah, you're on par for a 3.30 marathon or you're on par for a four-hour marathon. It's going to be the races that do. Yeah, and schedule a couple tune-ups because then that way, if, if you don't really love what happened in the first one, you get a second bite at the apple. Or you can use one to do marathon pace miles or tempo miles and the other one to actually race. 
Yeah, I think that's a great thing. And with respect to the tune-up race, because you will have raced, don't diminish the fact that it's just a tune-up. Take recovery. So for example, for me this week, I raced on Sunday. I barely ran this week. I, I did like a really easy run twice this week. That's all I've done. I'm going to jump back into training this weekend. I feel I'd say 80% recovered, um, but recovery takes time, particularly when you run a pace that you're not accustomed to running for a longer period of time than what you usually run of that your race. When you run your race yeah. pace, yeah. So, right, don't diminish that. that. Yeah. Right. And we kind of see that a lot where on schedules people will race and then they want to jump back into their speed work like, on no, Tuesday. No, no. Right. We're going no. to take this week as an easy recovery week and it will not impact your fitness. It actually will enhance your fitness. It gives us you absorb that work that you put in at the race and get back to running strong and healthy once you've recovered. Yes. So again, we've said this before, recovery is part of training. And if you recover well, you will run that much better. So lastly, believe in yourself. This is really important. And this also goes with practice positive self-talk. But when you have a bad run, don't allow that to define you when you've had a bad week. And we say when, because we all do. It's not if, it's when. It's a long training season. There will be runs that are not as great as the other runs. And remember, I always love what Tom Foreman says about there's no, there are no bad runs. There are just learning experiences or, you know, building blocks. It's not, it's not a bad run. It's just part of the process. Absolutely. Tom is, yeah, if you haven't listened to our episode from last season with Tom Foreman, he's got all kinds of nuggets on how to give yourself positive self-talk for that reason. But with respect to believing in yourself, also going back to don't compare, if, if you're someone where your easy pace is different than your training group's easy pace and you need to scale it back, believe in yourself and know that that is not a reflection of your fitness. That's a reflection of how you run best and where your sweet spot is that you can optimize your training and nail your race on race day. And if you have a a bad tune-up race experience, believe in yourself and recognize that that race is still worthy um, in that that is a learning experience and that is still training in the bank that will make you that much of a better runner as you continue to persevere through the rest of your training. So um, that's how we're going to wrap it up today. Lisa, anything you want to add? That's it. I think that's, uh, I'd love to hear how people are doing and the questions that they have. So if you have questions or, you know, training tips or things that you've learned along the way, email us. Julie and Lisa at runfartherandfaster.com. Reach out on Instagram, on Facebook. I just love to hear what people take away from this, feedback that they have, their experiences. If you have a different take on something we said, we love it when people write us and say, like, actually, you know, this is something that I found really helpful because it, it, you know, we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the tips. So we'd love to hear. Absolutely. Feedback. And to that end, um, we ask about every other week, please, if you are inclined, leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps people find us. And um, we, we really, really appreciate your feedback. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a shout and let us know. And I, I think maybe we should tell people that we're going to be in Boston early this year. Can we, yes. can we say? Okay. All right. So we're going to be in Boston early this year and we are going to be part, we're so excited. We're going to be part of a panel discussion of five 
Boston Running Podcast. And the organizer, Sherry Turner, who reached out to us, told us that we're actually the only Boston Marathon podcast, which I thought was, I mean, I think we knew that there weren't a lot, but didn't realize it like specific. So we, um, she's invited us and four other, herself and three other podcasts. And we're going to do a, a, a panel on Thursday, April 16th, uh, from like 5.30 to 9 p.m., I think it is, where we're still working on the details. But if you're in the Boston area, if you're going to be in Boston early for for the marathon, Thursday night, it's going to be at the Podcast Garage in Alston, I think it is. So uh, put that on your calendar. We're so excited to meet these other podcasters and to meet people and to go up to Boston early this year and have some extra time in Boston. Super excited. So like our one listener maybe in Boston will come. Don't say that. Last year we said that and then we had a bunch of people show up for a meetup and we will have another meetup yes. at some point and we will announce those those uh, those details. So please, we'd lo- we we last year that was the highlight of Boston for me. It was meeting all of the people who came to our meetup and we had people from like internationally locally, nationally. It was so fun to meet people who listen to our podcast that we didn't know. We thought, oh, just our friends listen to this. So <laughs> so if you're going to be in Boston or if you can make your plans to be in Boston by Thursday evening, we will put out those details as soon as they're finalized. But that, that's the time and the location and the date are, are finalized. All right, Lisa. Well, I hope you have a great week. You too, Julie. Thanks. Bye. Bye.